Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tent Talks Podcast. I'm Stacy Nelson, your host. And we're going to do an episode today about the ideal client or finding a niche in your work. Basically, I've been to a lot of marketing workshops or like how to grow your business, listening to life coaches or business information. And they always talk about this like ideal client or niche. And I find that to be such an interesting topic because I I don't know how people force it. I know that you can say like, who I'd want to attract is this or the population I'd hope to serve is this. But I think something really almost mystical happens. And that is that it just, it finds you, you show up for the work and then the work that is meant for you will find you. And I want to go into more about what I mean when I say that. And I want to use massage therapy as like the set point or the example, because, you know, that's what I have to work with. But when you graduate right from massage school or really any degree, you learn a wide range of modalities. And then with massage, what happens is you kind of start practicing on your clients and you've learned lymph, you've learned deep tissue, you've learned trigger, you've learned prenatal, you know, you've learned all X, Y, and Z, all these things. And every client that comes in, you specialize the session according to their needs and their wants. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be doing, you know, pregnancy massage on somebody who's not pregnant, you know, and lots of examples like that. You just ask somebody, hey, what's going on with your body? What are your body needs? And let's tailor the session to fit what you want. And of course, you use your expertise, you know, knowing like, oh, if it's somebody who has cancer, like this is, this modality is contraindicated. I'm not going to be doing lymph massage on somebody who has cancer. Those two things don't go together. And you throw in your expertise while also trying to accommodate your client. But what happens over time is you get really good at something and people just use their spidey sense, their subconscious, maybe it was a friend of a friend and people requiring a specific modality or who have specific needs, they all of a sudden seek you out and they say, oh, I've heard you're really good at this. And sometimes it just like throws you completely back like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I do that. I I can do that. And it's happened over the years where this thing of this ideal client has changed according to who I am and according to where I am in my evolution of self. And anyway, what I find I'm going into massage almost 20 years. So I've been doing a lot of work in that amount of time. And I've worked on a lot of bodies. And I've worked on a lot of bodies in weird situations where sometimes they don't speak English, where sometimes there's a lot of mobility issues with anything from needing wheelchair accessibility and help on and off the table to illness that really restricts what we can and cannot do. There's a wide range of of what I've been able to provide and help people with based on their accessibilities. 
And I have noticed I've hit this real place in my career and in my service and offerings where I do have a niche and it's not anything what I trained for. And it's something that has come about because of the internal work that I've done. And the thing about this niche is that it is not everyone's cup of tea. And I'm reminded of this over and over again. And it was just last week or the week before that I worked on somebody and I knew immediately upon the basic interview of like, hey, what's going on with your body today? Or hey, tell me what you're seeking. It was a new client and I was just trying to get an idea of what was the history of their body, how they felt today in their body and and what they were wanting overall in their session. And by these simple questions, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be a fit. And I don't know how I knew. I just knew. And later, I knew that it wasn't for them. I was feeling like what I provide, this person doesn't need, or it's not even in their realm of how their brain and body thinks and works. And it's okay. And I have to remind myself it's okay. And throughout the years, I remember this one kind of struck me. Somebody said, I don't see what the hype is about in reference to me. And I just took it and I was like, okay, yep, yep. Because I can't be what everybody needs. And that's okay. And that's a good thing. And I think finding security in myself and finding security in what I offer is all I can do. Because what I've promised myself over years and years of doing this is that I'm not going to show up as somebody else. I'm going to show up as me and I'm going to do the work that's in alignment with me and my gifts and my capacities because that's why I have them. And so I'm going to do it anyway even if it's not what somebody wants. And I know that immediately, but I'm not going to change myself to be what they need. Because that's part of a deep trauma cycle that I have of people pleasing and fawning is switching who I am and what I can provide to be what somebody else needs. And so for me to stand in who I am and complete a session, doing it the way that I do things It takes a lot of courage for me and it takes a great deal of second guessing and a lot of like hard reminder after reminder. Because the thing is, if I don't follow through with who I am and what I think my gifts are, then I'm going to attract a whole clientele that's out of alignment with me. There's going to be this this incompatible and then I'm going to resent my work and I'm going to hate what I'm doing. And so It takes a lot of courage to kind of be sometimes considered weird in my job. It takes a lot of courage to to do that because I know I am weird and I know that I'm not going to be a great fit for everybody, but I know that I have to continue to offer the work that I do because I can't live out of alignment to please other people because it will change the whole trajectory of what I'm putting out into the world and then what I'm getting back. So in that regard, the more authentic that I am in my work, the more that it brings me joy to do my work. 
And the more that it tailors the work that I do and the people that come in, because I really do think people are run off of a lot of subconscious drive and motivation. And maybe they don't know with their conscious mind why they might want a session with me. Maybe they just heard about it. Maybe they were just drawn to it. But I I do feel like the people that that I can work on and that I can support with the knowledge and the gifts that I have will find me. And I just have to keep cultivating and reassuring myself that even if I want to just make the session exactly in in a tailored way to them and, and be who they need me to be, that I actually just have to be the provider that I really am and that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay if they don't return. It's going to be okay if they didn't like it. And it's going to be okay if later I hear that they didn't like it through the grapevine or, or you know, whatever. It's going to be okay because my validation comes from alignment within myself and being authentic to who I am. And at the end of the day, I have to answer to me and not to anybody else. So what I do when I am in my full aligned self is I do deep somatic work to help people uncover their trauma. Because your subconscious resides within your body. And people get triggered. And they might not know what triggered them. And they might know what triggered them. But it sends them into a state of fight, flight, fawn, you know, whatever, all the Fs. It sends them into a state of dysregulation. And they're trying to get back in their body. They're trying to get regulated again. And to get regulated again, they need to gather that information in their body. And the thing about the body is it's really smart and it organizes information and it stores emotions in really repetitive patterns. And it has to do with brain, it has to do with neurological connection, because the body repeats itself and it has the circuitry. And so it sounds weird to people initially to say, oh, hey, that anger is being stored right here in your body, or all of your injuries happen to be on the left side of your body. The left side of the body is controlled by the right brain. There's a connection problem happening. And there's a lot of information that I tell people that's repetitive. And sometimes it's like, you know, Jesus Christ, like, what are you like, on a loop of repetitive information. But that's also the joy of it. And the gift of it is we just have to go within and find that connection place because it's pretty consistent. Most humans are pretty consistent. And it's just finding their own piece of trauma or what was activated or triggered within them. And then they can do the restoration and the healing process within their own body and restore it back to balance. But they just kind of need somebody to help point that out. And I talk people through tension all the time because relaxation and surrendering and holding your muscles 
or allowing your muscles to be relaxed, it's actually challenging. And often when I'm working or massaging on somebody, they will press back against me. Their muscle will kind of fight against it. And I have to slow it down and I say, okay, this is what it means to have tension. And I can't make your tension go away. That's an inside job. You have to somehow make a connection to that muscle, that part of your body, and you have to reassure it that it's safe to let go. So I think that healers and massage therapists, even life coaches, there's a whole slew of professions. I'm not going to just limit it to healers or somatic practitioners, but there's a whole slew of people that say, you know, come to me, I'll, I'll help you, I'll heal you, I know what to do for you. And while I think that people have specialized training, they have a lot of great insight and access to information and processes that can help people. It really is an internal job where the individual has to be ready, things have to be aligned, and they have to show up to do the work. And I can tire out a muscle group into submission, but that's not the same thing as somebody making the internal shift to isolate that muscle, find it in their body and just let it go. And also the staying power of somebody's body, like staying relaxed, it's a lot more likely that they'll feel better longer if it's them doing it instead of somebody else doing something to them. And so I find myself a lot in this dance with people where I kind of want to help them. I Well, obviously I want to help them. I want to give them hints. I want to talk about things that might trigger or activate something in their body so that they can make the connection. Sometimes I ask really direct questions. Sometimes we're talking it through, but essentially they have to be ready. So I'm kind of testing people's boundaries and I'm saying, okay, can we go here? And I do that very, very gently because if people feel pushed, they'll go further into a trauma cycle. They'll shut down further. And people, especially, especially, especially when there's such a power differential with massage, you know, if clothes are off, if they're on the table, I have to really elevate their agency and their choice and their control and let them know that everything is really up to them. And at any time we can shift gears, we can stop the session. I mean, there's so much vulnerability in opening up your body and your access to somebody. And I take that really seriously as a practitioner. But at the same time, it is my job to find out what we can work on and how far we can go. And I think in doing that, I've really landed a very specific niche. And I've thought about this a great deal of like, who do I see the most? Like, 
what is my clientele comprised of? And like, who are these people that, that I work on and feel like I can serve the best? And it comes down to number one, I think women, I think I understand women really well. Number two, I think I understand an abused woman really well. And number three, I think that that's true because of abuse that I've experienced in my lifetime and have recognized within myself. I can see that because I've seen it in myself and I see it in my community and I see it really prolifically. Like it's so easy for me to spot and it's such a delicate dance because nobody wants to be a victim and nobody wants to feel like a victim and nobody wants to explain or be in a place of like negotiating either an abusive relationship or an abusive dynamic. And it's very much often othered. It's like, well, that looks like this over here. That's not my reality. And when I think about what I'm able to pinpoint in people, it's oppression and it's abuse. And that's such a careful topic. And the thing about this place and this population is that abuse prevails and it's really sticky and it's in a lot of different areas. And there's a lot of things that we just accept as a community and we haven't called it abuse. And it's not until you're in a really, really extreme version of that that you can call it abuse because there's so many little things that people just say, oh, well, it didn't mean to, or, oh, you know, sidestepping this. And I think what makes people good at what they do is the ability to discover who they are and heal a certain aspect of themselves because they know how to recognize it and they know how to heal it and they know how to call it out and spot it. And they also know the very delicate, tricky dance through it because there's reasons people stay and they find safety in staying. It's actually the most risk for a woman to leave an abusive situation. And as I support my clients and as I support women in healing, one of the things that I think is biologically driven in women is this fear of men's anger. Because it, it literally, it kills people. It kills the planet. And I hate to gender it, but it's so true. And we live in a society of patriarchal dominance and men dominance. And if power is not used with care and divided between us, then there's abuse. And right now, I can't even tell you how many women I have walked through abusive relationships of first recognizing abuse in their body, recognizing that they're in terror or in fear, 
recognizing that they don't have that safety within. And then from there, trying to find where that comes from, what the triggers are. Why don't you feel safe? Is it when you're around a certain person or a certain situation or like what, what are these triggers that causes your body to go into a fight and flight pattern? What does that look like in your body and what makes you go into it? And from there, we identify triggers. And when we identify triggers, we can connect our younger self, our, our inner child, or our innocent self, we can connect. And we have to find the origin of where that happened. Because sometimes, or usually I've found that most people in their romantic partnerships or in work dynamics or with other adults, if there's an abusive dynamic or pattern, it usually didn't start there. It happened when they were a small child. And so it's doing this work, which is sometimes hitting on nonverbal things, which only the body can recognize. Only the body can recognize those nonverbal cues. And it's amazing how specific the body remembers things. And I've been listening to this online summit of a lot of practitioners from somatic to psychotherapy to meditation, but it's talking about the authentic self and this journey to be right within yourself and to know yourself. And to do that, you have to really deep dive with your own healing and figure out what activates you, what causes you to act out of your integrity. And there are things that are hidden from you, like hidden desires, hidden motives, hidden actions, and you can't quite access those things. And and then there are also things that you very much know that you're driven by. And the point of healing is to find out what are those hidden motives. And those are the wounded self. And the wounded self is usually the inner child. It's your little self that as a kid was learning, I can do this and I can't do this. Because if I do this, then this response happens. And it's really, really delicate work. And as I was listening to this online summit, they were talking about how a lot of Triggers for people are slamming either like cups on countertops or keys or slamming cupboards. And they said, just like, imagine being really small and maybe not able to talk, but wanting to know, like do a vibe check of the adults around you. And if you're hearing a lot of like aggression and the way people are moving around you, you know that maybe you need to be on your best behavior. And for some people, that physical aggression and environment leads to spankings or beatings or, you know, more serious violence. And maybe it just stops with those physical aggressions. But for a lot of people that I work on, it didn't stop with just that physical aggression. It went into physical abuse or emotional abuse, getting yelled at, or or even sexual abuse. 
And it's so pervasive. It's so tricky because what happens when something triggers us or we hear a sound or something externally activates a wound within is we start to alter our behavior. And we do it subconsciously because we want to be safe because the body really just wants to keep us safe. It's its number one job. But the thing is, as an adult, you're not subject to the same things that you were as a kid because you have a lot more power, you have a voice, you have choices, but we're often still in that state of panic because that might be hidden from us if we haven't figured it out yet what those triggers are. And so what I help when I'm in my most powerful place as a practitioner I hold space for people to figure out what those triggers are because it takes them into their pain body. It takes them even out of their body into a real state of terror and panic. And all of that information is stored in the tissues of your body. And that's kind of the joy that I'm finding in my career in the last like especially five years through the pandemic, everything amped up incredibly, but it's this philosophy that there is talk therapy and cognitive behavioral change. And that is so helpful and useful. But if you want to really go to the core of it, you have to go to the body. You have to find the somatic healing because in the somatics is where everything is being stored. And so People are finding healing through their body. They're finding 30, 50 year old injuries healing just by addressing the body because it's something that they can't even talk about because they probably didn't even have words at the time that it happened because they didn't know how to speak. And so when I'm working with people and I know it's not a fit, I know it's okay because you don't walk into the dark usually voluntarily because it's not a very fun place to go because we're storing our deepest pains there. You walk into it when you can't handle the pain anymore, when you're out of options. You go to those places when you're not afraid of it anymore because you've hit a wall of surrender. And some people get to surrender quicker because really what we're storing is feelings and memories. And we're not in that situation anymore. We're safe, but it takes so much courage to go back and sit with those feelings and sit with the younger self and and protect the younger self now as an adult. And it's really brave work. And I'm really proud of all of my clients who show up to do the work because I know it's not easy. And I know it's not easy because I'm doing it and I've been doing it. And so I just, in this culture where we think that we can tailor a business and tailor an ideal client and a niche and really be in control. There's so much that's out of our control. And there's so much that 
will happen when we lose that that need to control the narrative and just allow things to happen through our own experience and our own healing. Because I would have never 20 years ago said, my clientele is going to be all of the abused women in Utah County who are in really weird relationships and can't find their voice and can't find their internal power. I would have never said that because I didn't even know it existed. And here I am now and I'm doing the work that I'm doing and I grieve almost every day after work. And I've had to set up a lot of boundaries with my capacity. I don't work with as many people because my work takes a lot more out of me. And on days when I do more sessions, I know who those people are. And I know, like, it's very tailored. I don't allow my schedule to be filled anymore like I did. Because in order for me to stand in that authentic place with myself, I have to be realistic about what my capacities are. Because I know that now that I'm living more in my truth, that more of that is going to find me. And let me tell you, it's all around me. And I can see it. And I know what to do about it. But I'm just one person and I'm one practitioner. And people have to be ready. And you have to gently, gently, gently show them that it's safe to do that by every session, just opening up a little bit more and saying, what can we work on today? Where are you with your body? Let's talk about it. And then, and then we get to work, but it's, it's consistent work. It's slow work. And it's actually the, the privilege or the joy of my life is to be able to support women in this way. And I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I told my own story to myself and I showed up for myself in that way, because I can't recognize something in another with the clarity if I haven't been able to recognize it within myself. And I think that people who've been doing the work for a long time or had a, a lot of experience with clients know what I'm talking about. It's not something that you can go to a weekend marketing workshop and figure out. It's happens over a long time, a lot of consistency and just showing up for yourself. Anyway, thank you for joining me on today's episode and navigating this concept of the ideal client and hearing a little bit about the kind of work that I do. And I want to thank Kimmy on sound and production and editing, Kimberly Mehmet, who does a great job for us here. And I want to thank all of our listeners for sharing and liking and promoting the podcast. It really is such a joy for me to show up and be able to share with listeners every week. And we'll see you again next Tuesday. Thanks, everyone.